Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom, and we have got a full show for you today. We're going to cover a lot of different things. We're going to talk some boating safety a couple different times uh, during the show. You know, the waters in Colorado are going to be crowded this upcoming weekend, and there's a national program on called um, Dry Water, Operation Dry Water, about drinking and boating, and there's just some etiquette and things. So we have a couple segments that we want to make sure people know the rules, how to interact, and the way that alcohol affects you on the water. It really has a much bigger effect when you're out on a boat than it does when you're not. So we're going to talk about that so everybody's aware, so everybody can have a great 4th of July weekend. Obviously, we're going to talk some fishing because the fishing has been going really, really well. We'll have our Ask the Expert question. And by the way, you can be an Ask the Expert or get a, a get your question answered. All you do is send your question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Gmail. It can be hunting, fishing, camping. It can be anything outdoors, outdoor cooking, outdoor clothing. If we choose to answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card just from Sportsman's Warehouse, just for sending it in. That's all you have to do if we answer your question. So it's awesome, and it helps us with programming. So we'll have that today. And speaking of uh, our online things, you should go to our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, we've, uh, if you've been interested in a career in the outdoors, being making the outdoors your career, uh, we did an interview with uh, Troy Linder uh, from. He's Al Linder's son, and him and Al are putting on an outdoor uh, a seminar and out careers in the outdoors. And they're bringing back Camp Fish. That was my Denver Post article this last week. But if you go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you can just scroll down, and there's a link to everything right there. I tell you what, let's get right to the phones. So we got so much to cover today. And joining us, um, you've seen him at the International Sportsman's Exposition up on the tank and in the booths. Very accomplished angler and guide, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. How are you, Terry? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. And what's always great to tap into your expertise. You're an excellent angler, and you fish a lot of the waters throughout Colorado. So we want to get some of your perspective on what's going on in the state. And is, are you catching any fish? Oh, my goodness. Right now, it is a great time of year to be an angler in this state you know fish are biting whether you're looking to head to the high country or or staying in town or, or heading out east wherever you're going you know the fish have been been very very productive as of late well you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago we are in what uh in fact i wrote a column on it for the denver post we are in what the um the we used to call the fishing calendar for each species for the warm water species we're in what's called the summer peak where the water's warm and those fish's metabolism is really on fire. They want to eat. But the bait from this year probably hasn't hatched or grown big enough to be a good food source. And some of the bait from last year is too big for maybe the, say, 15 to 20-inch walleyes, that kind of thing, and some of the bass and white bass too. So you really get on the bite, and you don't have to compete with that bait. So it's a great time to be out there. Are you finding it's those that size fish you're seeing the most of? 
Absolutely. You know, this time of year, you're you're looking for your middle-sized fish. So your 15 to, to 20 inches, as you just mentioned, have been certainly the most prolific. However, you know, every once in a while, we've been picking up a nicer fish. You know, we had a, a 26-incher the other day on a guide trip, and uh, just the other day out at Bar Lake, we wound up having a, a fish close to 24. Don't you, don't you think Bar Lake is an underutilized resource? I really do. You know, I mean, we were out there and, and very impressed with that lake. We got some, some good graphs from Insight Genesis, or yeah, some good charts from Insight Genesis to put on our graphs. We were able to go out and take a peek at some of our uh, good humps out there that are available to anglers, and those walleyes were all over them. And then once the, the day kind of progressed, some of those fish pushed up over to the shade of the weeds hunting some bait fish, and we had great success over there as well. Well, you know, because it's a 10-horsepower limit, a lot of people don't go out there, but you can run your kicker motor or your electric, and it's not just walleyes. There's some others, wipers. Uh, there's a catfish, a variety of species there. Absolutely, you know, and, and that lake really reminded us a lot of some of those other northeastern lakes that seem to be quite underutilized as well. Uh, North Sterling, you know, Jackson's a big-time recreational lake as far as power boats and jet skis are concerned, but the fishing is still fantastic. And then even Jumbo, as you move out to the, the further northeast, we had a fantastic day out there throwing what a lot of folks think of as a, a fall-type pattern, but jigging wraps were far and away the best technique. So what, how long do you think this bite is going to last? I mean, you'll be able to catch fish. They're getting into their summer patterns, obviously, for quite a while. But how long do you think we'll see this really peak? Because it'll change, and the fish will move, as the, especially in these shad-based lakes. As those shad hatch, I expect the fish, a lot of them, to move offshore a little bit. Is that where you're finding them, kind of on structure right now? Yep, they're all piled up on structure. And, you know, you utilizing your sonar is, is a, a fantastic way to go. And even for a shore angler's perspective, still focusing on structure, so trying to get off of a point or maybe the edge of a rock face, somewhere where those fish are going to be pushed up and, and, and stacked along a stru structure contour. But typically what I wind up finding is that that pattern goes a lot of the time till roughly the end of July, and, and depending upon the weather patterns and water temperature, uh, you know, the hatch can be affected slightly on, as far as the shad are concerned. But once those shad move out over the lake, it, it turns from the daytime bite where you're catching a lot of fish on structure to a little bit more of a grind where you're going to be actually out at night and a lot of times pulling planer boards with, with shad wraps and flicker shad uh, out over the open water. No, you're absolutely right. So what are some of the other bites? Any, any uh, cold water bites you're seeing? Absolutely. So Antero actually recently opened up, and the fly fishing as well as conventional fishing bites have been absolutely fantastic out there. So at the moment, uh, it is all a, a hand-launched, non-motorized type lake, but anglers are having fantastic success out there utilizing coronamids and leeches for as far under indicators as far as fly fishing is concerned. And then I've also been hearing that the tube jig bite and even throw, some guys throwing some Tasmanian devils have been uh, really productive out there. You know, this is a great time if you're not a fly uh, angler to go to a fly in a bubble too and experiment Absolutely. with flies a little bit because you can go to a, a store, buy some flies and fish them under a bubble and kind of get a feel for what, what the fish like and where they hit. Kind of it can be, maybe you don't even ever want to become a full-fledged fly angler, but it gives you another, another tool in your arsenal um, and it also may lead you into fly fishing and just expand the opportunities you have. I totally agree with that. And, you know, even as far as uh, floats are concerned as well, I've been talking to a few uh, anglers that have been going up to Antero running coronamids and calabatus underneath slip bobbers, just like you would think of for walleyes. So they've been gone, going out in their float tubes and, and adjusting their bobber stopper so that they can get a good presentation with uh, those flies hanging right along the bottom. 
And instead of using a strike indicator, they're just using a split bobber. Well, let's face it. A fly in a bubble is a bobber. Usually it's clear, but it doesn't have to be. Yep. And, a, and a an indicator, I know fly anglers, and I do a lot of fly anglers angling. We did a lot on my television show and had Kirk Dieter here from Trout Magazine just a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes they get a little offended, but an indicator is a bobber. I mean, it's that's what a bobber does. It holds your, your, your presentation in place and gives you a strike indication. So. It- the exact same thing, and you know, presenting it in the in in the proper means is is still vitally important, whether or not you're doing it on a, a fly rod or on on the conventional rod. Well, and I've got a young lady lives next to me. I've done some articles in the Denver Post on her. She's fighting uh she's fighting leukemia. Looks like she's turned the corner and on her way to complete recovery. But while she was going through that, she took up tying flies, and she doesn't cast a fly rod yet. So she went out yesterday and caught a bunch of bluegills on on a fly in a bubble. And and with the little ponds all around the the front range, you can do that, and you might get a nice bass. And a lot of them are stocked with trout too. Absolutely, and you know the angling opportunities with the fly in a bubble. Um, from someone that sells a lot of tackle, uh, you know, I find that it's an underutilized method. And you know, for any anglers out there really looking to have a lot of good success. Up in the high country, I find that it's it's something that if you don't want to fly fish and you don't want to throw a lure, it's a great in-between type technique. Well, you know, and where where um, scented baits are allowed, Karen and I have been using a lot of the small gulp products in the jar, and there's a couple that have really paid off for me over the last few weeks. One of them is that little mini earthworm that looks like a bloodworm, and putting that below a bobber, say, two, three feet below a bobber with a tiny jig, like an ice fishing jig, or sometimes even almost unweighted. Uh, we were catching, Karen caught crappies up to 14 inches in a pond on that, and we can't keep the bluegills off, and I'm sure they'd be very effective for trout. And I was back in Minnesota, and I took that one-inch pinch crawler from Gulp that comes in a little package, and we actually fished it side-by-side side with pieces of night crawler for 10, 11-inch bluegills we were catching up there. And it was every bit as effective. In fact, you caught more fish because they didn't get torn off. And we fished it in a very similar presentation with a little slip bobber throwing into pockets. And you can do that just as well from shore as you can a boat. Absolutely. You know, that exact comment right there is something that I find guiding all the time. Um, you know, I am fishing the majority artificials while I'm guiding, even for walleyes in, in the middle of the summertime. And, and as you mentioned, many times artificials, whether it be a reactionary bait or soft plastic, can wind up out fishing live bait. For one, you don't have to go and, and, and deal with trying to keep bait alive out in the heat. But also, like you just mentioned as well, it's not going to get pick, picked off of there like a little bait-stealing walleye or bluegill can wind up doing to you and, and cutting your time to have to bait. Well, and one of my favorites is that gulp minnow, about a three-inch gulp minnow. I'll tell you what, if the fish are on a jig bite, it's hard not to use that. It works. Absolutely. And, you know, I think another underutilized one is the, the pro twitch tail minnow from Berkeley as well. And those guys are offering fantastic action, as with the gulp minnow, and I wind up utilizing those side-by-side many times. Oh, you're exactly right. we got a minute, maybe maybe two left here. So we've got this weekend and the week coming up, and then we got the fourth, big 4th fourth of July weekend. If you were planning a fishing trip, maybe tomorrow we'll talk about that first, and then maybe when it's going to be busier at some of the parks next week. And give me a couple of tips for people. Yeah, so, you know, I, I at this point, Although, the, you know, the mountain bite has been productive, I still am definitely partial to the walleye bite right now. It has been absolutely fantastic with literally hundreds of fish being caught um, each day by anglers. And so I would be a lot of times either thinking about heading out east or even maybe trying a southeastern location, doing something like Adobe Creek, 
or even John Martin. Both those fisheries have wound up being uh, fantastic. But, you know, mentioning on a really busy weekend, certainly boating safety, is, as you're going to wind up talking about later on in the show, is, is something to really think about. Um, going out there, maybe going out really early to, to avoid a lot of the crowds. And definitely being patient at the boat ramps is another thing that I really like to, to wind up preaching just for the fact that many, many folks wind up getting, you know, real agitated at the boat ramps and, and patience can help. But all of that can be avoided just by driving a little bit farther as well. So if someone's looking to really wind up getting away from the crowds on a busy 4th of July type weekend, maybe the answer is going on to southeast Colorado and, and, and doing John Martin or maybe winding up going out into the northeast portion of the state and, and doing something like North Sterling, although... The, the boat traffic may be kind of high on some of those lakes. All those lakes are really big bodies of water in comparison to Chatfield or Cherry Creek in town, and, and a lot of the, uh, the boats can wind up spreading out, and can fishermen can get away and, and have a little bit of their own area. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In that southeast area, you know, it fluctuates up and down with water. They've bought water for John Martin, so they're maintaining it. They've been able to refill some of those other lakes. In fact, I wrote a column a few weeks ago for the Denver Post in my weekly column just about those southeast lakes, and they are a far enough drive where you don't get the same traffic and they're big bodies of water. And right now the fishing in those lakes is phenomenal. If you want to check out my Facebook page, folks, at uh, Turkishim Outdoors, you can scroll down and all my Denver Post columns get posted on that Facebook page, and you can go to the Denver Post also and, and just Google I'm just search my name. Austin, we've got to let you go, but great, great information. If people want to get a hold of you, you guide, you work at uh, Discount uh, Tackle, tell them how they get a hold of you. So my number is 303-514-5546, or you can get a hold of me by email at walleye93 at gmail.com. Or they could stop by the store, right? Absolutely. I'm down there a lot, and we'll be heading down there right after I get off the phone with you. Thanks for joining us. Always great information. Thanks so much, Terry. I appreciate it. You bet. Austin is such a great resource. We need to have him on more. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the Honey Smoke Fish Company. Their honey smoked salmon is out of, out of this world. The secret is in the fire. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Parks and Wildlife... We have Tim Zant. We're going to talk some boating safety. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, Derek. It's a beautiful day, and it's going to be more beautiful. I looked at the weather, and coming out to next weekend, it's just going to get warmer and nicer. We're going to head into this holiday weekend, and we know the waters, well, the waters everywhere, but especially in Colorado, are going to be busy, and we want to make sure people have a safe outing that they can look back at the memories and enjoy that doesn't have a tragedy involved. And I know we're going to talk about a program called Operation Dry Water and Drinking and Boating. But before we get to that, let's talk about just the basic safety equipment. If you're going out in any type of a watercraft in Colorado, what do you need to have? Well, sir, uh, boaters should really plan ahead to, to think about what they're going to be uh, going out into. And as we're looking at the weather shaping, it looks to be a, a great week coming ahead. But uh, we certainly want to make sure folks have their uh, their personal flotation device, you know, sound-producing device, the fire extinguishers, you know, develop a float plan and make sure like, letting people know where they're going. I mean, just make sure your boat's ready to go to the water and make sure you've got all that safety equipment on board uh, to make sure you have a good weekend. No, you're absolutely right, because I, I think if people knew the number of fatalities that happen because somebody's not wearing a personal flotation device, it's un, it's an unbelievable percentage, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really uh, it's really up there, and it's, it's surprising to know a lot of our boating fatalities actually come from non-motorized boating, uh, you know, you know, the canoes and the kayaks, things like that. 
simply from not having some of that safety equipment. Well, you mentioned in non-motorized, you know, one that's become really popular is the um, paddle boards. I don't know if they understand that they're required to have a flotation and not a throw cushion, but they need, if it's an adult, they don't have to wear it, but they have to have a flotation device with them, right? Absolutely, Terry. Absolutely. And like you said, they don't have to be wearing it. They just make sure that they have one on board. And, of course, you know, in a perfect world, we'd, we'd recommend that you're always wearing it, but uh, they at least have to have one with them. And children, is it under 15 that have to always have a flotation device on or approved Coast Guard if they're on the water? Well, actually, it's under 13. Under uh, so 13. 12 years old and younger actually have to be wearing that, that personal flotation device at all times on the boat. I'll tell you my personal story about, I think I told you this, I was out in a kayak and I've never ended up, I've been boating in some of the worst conditions. I fish tournaments all over North America. I've traveled from the Arctic Circle to the equator fishing. And I never got dumped in the water once. And you get a little confident. But I started wearing the inflatable suspenders. You don't even know you have them on. And I especially wear those when I'm kayaking. Well, I was in a kayak, and I was pushing the limits a little bit. And I was actually trying to see if I, how far I could lean over. And I dumped it. Uh, and I, I was semi-prepared, but it still caught me by shock because it dumped when I didn't think it was going to. The next thing I know, I was 10 feet underwater and 10, well, 10, 12 feet of water all the way down at the bottom. Still had my hat, sunglasses on and holding my rod. And I'm looking up through a tangle of brush and tree, trees and weeds. And all of a sudden, my suspenders inflated and I came up like a bobber. Now, as a rugged outdoorsman, right, I'd like to think that I probably could have got out of that anyway, but maybe not especially if that water would have been cold. And I'm a big believer now in having those on because it happens so quick and you get in a situation that you think you're going to react and you just can't. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. And I always have mine on as well. And that's a great example of, uh, of why having it on and how having it on was, was great in that, in that instance because, you know, sometimes you get, you get knocked out of, your, out of your boat, out of your canoe, and it's, it's really too late by the time you, you realize you need it. You know, it may not be there. Hey, I popped up and still had my hat glasses on, was holding my rod. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. didn't lose anything. Hey, let's talk real quick before we have to let you go. There's a national program coming, and that's uh, Operation Dry Water, um, and that's about boating and, and consuming alcohol or boating impaired. Tell us about that. Well, Terry, it's a national campaign. Um, it's, it's really year-round, but we, we focus on this upcoming weekend of July 30th to July 2nd. It's a heightened, heightened awareness period. Uh, and it's a national program involving law enforcement agencies around the country uh, to address boating under the influence uh, and raising awareness of the important issue. Now, first of all, I think people don't understand. You're out in a boat in the sun, and you're you're you have a, some adult beverages. Now, most of the parks in Colorado, you can only have three, two beer, but even still, that's going to get you. And alcohol has a much quicker and much more intense effect in that situation, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Alcohol can affect voters uh, much more on the water than it, than it does on land. And it's, it's one of those surprises where they don't necessarily see it coming. You know, it's been said that one drink on the water can have the same effect as three drinks on land. So that can really sneak up on you. And that's because, first of all, there's always a little bit of equilibrium difference when you're on the waves. But then you also dehydrate. You tend not to drink enough water as you're out in the sun. And and there's just a number of things in the elements. It's mostly dehydration and then the the water moving that does has it happen. And you might not be legally impaired if you were to take a test, but you can still get a ticket for being reckless or being impaired, right? Yeah, absolutely. There there are other things out there that alcohol can contribute to that you know may get in that situation where you you've done maybe something careless or 
something that's gotten me in trouble otherwise. And I really recommend not drinking at all. And, of course, we recommend having, you know, the sober operator and even a secondary sober operator in case something were to happen to the to the primary, you'd have someone else who could step in. And, you know, it's, it's really just a good idea not to not to drink at all while you're out there. Well, but, uh, a, if you do, to do it safely. Well, and another thing with drinking on a boat, um, people don't realize, in Colorado at least, the ticket and the fine can be equivalent of a DUI in your car. Yes, sir, absolutely. It could include jail time, and uh, they will end up in arrest if, if you are under the influence. And the main reason, of course, is we just don't want any tragedies on the 4th of July. Absolutely. We want folks to go out there and have fun and, and do it safely and make sure that our waters are safe for, for everyone out there enjoying the water. All right. And real quick, before we let you go, um, one last comment. I know there's going to be a lot of people in the water. They have to respect other people. Uh, we know they shouldn't drink and boat. We know they should have their safety gear. What else would you like to tell them? Well, I'd just like to tell them to, to make sure that you're being respectful of others and keeping distance from other boats and other boaters, especially on these weekends at some of the larger lakes. There's going to be a lot of boaters out there. All right. So uh, just make sure you're being respectful and uh, and watching out for others. And we're going to actually later on in the second hour talk a little about a bit more about interaction with motorized versus non-motorized and those type of things. So it's just we want everybody to have a great weekend. We don't want you to get a fine or a ticket, but mostly we don't want you to have a tragedy. Absolutely. Yeah. The goal is to reduce to reduce those tragedies and just keep everyone safe. All right, Tim. Thanks so much, Tim. Absolutely, Terry. Have a good week. You bet. That's Tim from Parks and Wildlife on the Operation Dry Water. They are really going to be cracking down, folks. If you're operating a boat under the influence of drugs or alcohol, you can get an incredibly, it'll cost you 10000 bucks, just like a DUI. It just isn't worth it. Don't do that. Let's go right back to the phones now. And joining us, one of our favorite people, a regular on the show, and that's Ray from uh, Adventure Camper. Good morning, Ray. Hi, Terry. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing really good, Ray. And I, I, one of the things I wanted to cover with you today, I know you got still got a big sale going on. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But a big part of your business is rentals, and you book up so quick. I think we should talk to people about how far out you're booked, wh- when they need to get on, and the fact that, you know, that there's maybe a few more openings as we get towards fall and some of the most beautiful weather. Am I right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. You know, we're we're in the heart of peak season now. Um, so what I would tell uh, any of your listeners is that if you're planning on renting a camper to go camping sometime this summer, uh, you need to get a reservation made right away, uh, even if you're looking into August. Uh, we're, we're, we tend to have uh, bookings, you know, well into August. There are some spots available between here and there, but um, the, the sooner you make a reservation, the more likely you'll you'll have availability. And what size vehicles do you are? RVs do you rent? Uh, we carry either small pop-ups. We have small, medium, large, based on uh, how many people you need to uh, sleep. We also carry ultralight 17-foot travel trailers, a couple versions of those um, that are easily towable with, say, a V6 uh, SUV. And then we also carry larger 24-foot units for rent. And some of the larger units, you have limited availability, but you do have some vehicles you can rent, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure, sure. We carry SUVs and passenger vans, which we allow towing with. And um, so, yeah, if you, if you want to go camping and don't have the vehicle, give us a call. We'll sure try to help you out. Is there a minimum number of days they need to rent for? During peak season, which is now until mid-August, basically, we do have a five-night minimum charge. Um, you can you don't have to stay that long necessarily, but but that's the minimum charge. And as we get into fall, do you reduce that a little bit then? Yeah, or? after Labor Day, that uh, well, actually starting Labor Day, that drops down to a four-night rental, and then after Labor Day, a three-night rental. And you're exactly right, Terry. Uh, fall, September, and, and October here in Colorado is 
sensational camping season. Oh, you know, it's not as crowded because kids go back to school, and it's right. some of the most beautiful, stable weather we have. You don't get the summer storms. It's just, and the fish are biting, and the, you know, the yeah. mountains, the snow is gone. It's just one of my favorite times times to be out. Before I let you go, you still have a big sale going on. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, we've got a couple things. We're, we're kind of uh, coming towards the back end of sales season um we've got our several real light models and these these i think your listeners would love they're off-road uh they have a lifted frame they've got off-road tires on them so it lets your listeners get back to where they want to be uh and if you're looking and those are all 17 foot and about 3,000 pounds um and then we also carry the sonoma line which is larger coaches really high-end beautiful uh items and uh yeah we'll, we'll help make a good deal for you in one of those if you're looking for one before the kids go back so how do they find you ray we're down at uh, uh, Arapaho Road and Jordan Road, at least near there. Or you can also see us on the web at uh, adventurecamper.com. All right, Ray, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds like you got a lot going on and you're busy. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Thanks, Ray. That's Ray from Adventure Camper. Great, great people. Terry Oakstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. We're going right to the phones. And uh, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Kathy Griffin. She's a species conservation manager. Good morning, Kathy. Hello, Terry. It's a beautiful day here. Um, where are you talking to us from? Are you in town or are you out, out somewhere? I'm out in Grand Junction. Uh, is it, it's supposed to be nice and warm out there. you got beautiful weather. We do. It's uh, cooling down just a little bit. So it's only going to be in the uh, mid 90s today, which is oh, you'll probably <laughs> you'll probably need a coat. <laughs> hey, Kathy, as a species conservation coordinator, uh, there's a manager. There's a couple things you and I talked during the week, and Colorado, you know, we have a, a, a just a plethora of small game and, and animals. We have so much public land in Colorado, that we have so much different terrain and different habitat that we're very blessed to have a number of species. And some of those are our grouse-type species. And we have a number of birds that kind of fall into that family, but two in particular that come on top of the radar a lot. And one of them is uh, very limited in its habitat, and the other one's a little more available. Both provide... um, wildlife viewing opportunities that are spectacular that we'll talk about here in a minute but one of them also provides hunting and those those are the um uh, if i'm not mistaken we're talking the two grouse we have the where are the the gunnison and the greater sage grouse right right we do have eight species of grouse here in colorado and that's probably um the widest diversity of grouse species as any other state in the west so we're blessed with that like you said um i i work particularly with the greater and gunnison sage-grouse, two different species of sage-grouse that uh, occur in our state. And they um, are pretty much restricted to sagebrush habitats in the sagebrush ecosystem. So they only occur on the western slope. And those two, I mean, I know there's a number of small game hunting. You know, we talk a lot about big game hunting on the show. We probably don't talk about small game hunting enough. But let's start with the, um, is it the, the gunnison uh, the, the greater which one? The, the gunnison is almost restricted, right? It has very little habitat. Right. Well, the gunnison sage grouse um, occurs almost exclusively only in the state of Colorado. Um, the entire population is in the southwestern portion of our state, 
and there's just a very, very small portion in Monticello, Utah area. And I think we have, we estimate um, just about 5,000 birds total. So that's 5,000 gunnison sage grouse, all, almost all exclusively in Colorado and found nowhere else in the world. That species um, is now listed under the Federal Endangered Species Act is threatened. So we're not allowed to hunt that species now. And, of course, we do have plans in place. We've had major plans in place for many of the grouse species to maintain their populations, trying to keep them from being listed. And you've so far right. been successful in doing that with the greater stage, sage-grouse. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We um, Greater sage-grouse, they occur here in Colorado, mostly in the northwestern portion of the state. Um, and we... Colorado is right on the very edge of this um, range of the greater sage-grouse. They occur in 11 western states, and we're just on that southwest portion. And range-wide, there's probably estimated to be half a million birds. And here in Colorado, we estimate oh, just maybe over 30,000 birds in our state. So we have about 4% of this range-wide western uh, range of the birds. And um, we have been managing this bird for 40, 20, 25 years. We do have conservation plans in place. And one of the uh, conservation actions actually is allowing hunting in particular areas. And that's, you know, that's because this plan has been successful. You know, you kind of have to interact with the federal government, and they're going to say, hey, um, we think this should be listed. And, and I know that Parks and Wildlife works hard to keep species from being listed, one, because it can make available opportunities like hunting, but two, because management of the entire ecosystem becomes more difficult when you have a listed uh, animal, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. And we we like to try, you know, we work hard to maintain um, some level of hunting on our greater sage-grouse because, well, number one, I think that the sportsmen are pretty much the primary funder for species conservation, and they've been that way for decades. Um, allowing some level of hunting of our greater sage-grouse you know, it garners that interest, and like you said, it keeps people engaged in in conservation. You know, they have a vested interest in us keeping our population high enough to a level that we can allow hunting. Yeah, and we certainly don't want to see the areas that could be hunted reduced, because that would be the first ramification if if we see these becoming endangered or about to be listed. We only have a few minutes left, but I'd like to talk too for wildlife watching. You know, you mentioned hunters and license fees pay for almost all the conservation efforts in Colorado, but a lot of people get to take advantage of that, whether they're sportsmen or not. The outdoor population in Colorado loves wildlife watching, and grouse really provide a show, don't they? They, they really do. They have one of the most spectacular um, breeding displays or dances. Um, they have particular areas called lets that are tend to be kind of maybe on a knoll or cleared off areas where they can really show themselves. And the males get out there every spring, and they, they're very um, site-specific, so they come back to the same place year after year, and the males all get out there, and they do this dance where they spread their tail feathers. They have these air sacs on their chest that um, are yellow, and they inflate these air sacs, and as they deflate them, there's a popping sound, and so they have their wings spread out, and they're kind of stomping around, blowing up and popping, making popping sounds out of these um, inflated air sacs. So they're really quite spectacular dances, um, and that attracts the females, and that's where the mating occurs for the species. Um, what time of the year and where could people possibly see this? Well, the, the mating occurs 
uh, in mid-March through mid-May, kind of depending on snow levels. Um, there are places to watch both Gunnison and Greater Sage Grouse. In Gunnison Sage Grouse in Gunnison Basin, we have a watchful wildlife site. And in Greater Sage Grouse, the opportunities have become a little bit more limited. It's kind of difficult to get out there sometimes. Um, you have to get up really in the morning, early in the morning, because you have to be out there before sunrise and in place before the birds get to these areas. So it could mean, you know, getting up at three o'clock in the morning and getting out there. But um, right now, Jackson County up there in North Park near Walden, the Chamber of Commerce there does operate a uh, watchable wildlife uh, um, opportunities for watching sage grouse there. All right. Well, we've got to run. Any last comments before we let you go, Kathy? No, I just appreciate uh, you getting the word out on all of the work that we do. And I, I thank you. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. Always great information. You know, there's so many interesting things in the outdoors in Colorado. It's not just hunting and fishing. It's, it's just an outdoor state. And we love to bring that to the people, Kathy. Yeah, that's certainly true. You bet. Thank you so much. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. You know when you play the Eagles in the middle of the show, then it shortens the time for me to be on the air because I have to stop and listen. Thank you. (laughs) You know, we had, before we go back to programming, we had a... um, Used to have a my passport operator from years ago, Zach Kalupa, who's now, uh, he, I think he's under a, a, a fake name on another station doing music. Great guy, but we used to argue about the Beatles versus the Eagles, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I like Beatles, but the Eagles blow them away, and he would argue vehemently about it. So I, uh, we did a contest where when everybody called in, we had Karen ask them. Do you, and this is back in the CD days. That tells you how old I am. And I, we said, do you have Eagles CDs, Beatles CDs, or both in your car? And the Eagles won like four or five to one. It was, um, they, they're music. I mean, I love the Beatles. I'm not anti-Beatles, but the Eagles are such incredible bands. So there, Zach, if you're listening, now we know that. Hey, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. You know, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about our social media and how you can be part of the show and take advantage of it. One is you need to follow and like Terry Wicks from Outdoors on Facebook. And the reason is if we have special interviews coming up, like Al Linder will be coming up in a couple weeks, and Troy Linder was on just a week ago, you're going to see that posted ahead of time so you know they're going to be here. All right? If, if I'm going to be on assignment, we're having a guest host, we'll tell you that. Uh, we always post my articles. I, I write a weekly column for the Denver Post. We post that on my Facebook page because it doesn't always come out the same day. So you you don't have to go search for it in the post. You can just find it on my Facebook page. You'll get it automatically. And it's usually about Colorado outdoors. Sometimes it has a national bend to it. Also, we post uh, television shows uh, from our 22 seasons on television. We post those. Uh, on the, the Facebook page also, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And what we do on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is we post those Facebook, um, post those, post, post those on our Facebook page. And then we also put them on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And we've got maybe 60 or 70 shows up there now from the past that you can find every time we add one, you can find that on the Facebook page. 
Also, we're now on um, a service called My Outdoor TV. My Outdoor TV is like the Netflix of outdoor television, and there's like 100, 150 different television shows on this channel. It's a service you pay for, but then you get access to all the programs. There's thousands of programs from these 150 or whatever uh, shows, and you can not only watch them streaming, but you can download them and take them with you, which is you can't do on YouTube, which is really great. And I, I don't remember what the monthly charge is. It's like $9 a month. But then you get access to all these shows. It's fantastic. And so we're part of that now, too. Also, when we do our contests, a lot of times when we're having, like the Ask the Expert, you can send in your questions to Ask the Expert. We do a lot on Ask the Expert that reflect back through our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You can find out how to send your question in. You send your question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on gmail.com. If we answer your question on the air, any outdoor question, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. You can find more information about that on my Facebook page. So follow us and like us on Facebook. That's how you're going to get more involved in this show. Okay? Also on this show, I want to say thanks to a lot of our sponsors. We have some of the greatest sponsors and people that make this show possible. And, you know, one of those is Sun Power Sports. Sun Power Sports has a history with this show going back, I think, like 18 years, 14, 15 years, a long time they've been uh, associated with this show. You know, back we used to call them Sun Honda. And they had Honda, and they had Kawasaki and Polaris, and plus they had the Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Well, they still have uh, Honda and Kawasaki and Polaris, and they have the oldest Harley dealership in Colorado with incredible deals. You know, all the new Harleys are out there, and they've got the new motor. And I'm not a motorcycle guy, so I'm not going to tell you what this new motor is about. But when I talked to the guys at Sun, they said the new motor in the Harleys is unbelievable, and the new models, they have just upped their game. In addition to that, Sun now carries Can-Am, Spider, and Ski-Doo. So not only do they have... All the ATVs, they have a huge selection of side-by-sides and different brands. And a, and now they have a selection of power water sports, you know, Skidoos and the, all the watercraft that come with that name. So they're, they've really branched out to become an entire power sports dealer at, at Sun. You know, I, I tell you all the time that Sun is located at 88th and Washington, but really it's 88th and Pearl. You get off on 84th Avenue. And you go to Pearl, you go north on Pearl till you get to, um, you'll see the big campus. You can't miss it. Huge, a huge track out there to test ride ATVs. And during the summer, there's almost an event there every weekend. And they have free barbecue. And I tell you what, if you're into ATVs, if you're into power water sports, if you're into motorcycles, especially the Hondas and the Harleys, Unbelievable. One whole building is Harley-Davidson, okay? Just fantastic. Or if you're into any of the power sports, first you're going to find the largest inventory by far in Colorado. You're going to find the best deals because their buying power is so big. They buy from all over the country at auctions. They get better deals than most dealers. You're going to find helpful personnel that can help get you what you need, put in what you need. You can try it before you buy it right there. And you're just going to deal with good people who have been in this industry a long time. And I'll tell you right now that Ron and Mark Kite, Ron Lang and Mark Kite, that are there, you're going to have the management there, have been such great personal friends of mine and outdoor enthusiasts. You want to see them ice fishing? 
go to uh, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube, you'll see us ice fishing and using the ATVs to pull our ice huts around on Granby Reservoir. These are true outdoor people, too. So whatever your need for an ATV or a motorcycle, Sun Power Sports is just the people you need to see. 88th and Pearl. Just remember 88th and Pearl. Once you get there, you can't miss it, and uh, they will... uh, They'll help you out with all your motorcycle and ATV needs. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter.